Hello and welcome to the Behind the Artist podcast with Park West Gallery. I'm Gallery Director Morris Shapiro. If you'd like to view works of the artists I'm interviewing and learn more about them, please visit our podcast site with links to more content at parkwestgallery.com forward slash podcast. International art dealer Park West Gallery is proud to present our new podcast series, Behind the Artist. Each episode will be talking to popular contemporary artists to learn the stories and inspiration behind their extraordinary artwork and fascinating careers. Kevin Vigil, whose artistic moniker is CREATE, that's K-R-E in the number eight, is one of the more thoughtful, contemplative, and philosophical artists I've had the pleasure of interviewing. His appearance, though, belies his thoughtful sensitivity since he's often immediately misjudged because of it. But as this episode of Behind the Artist reveals, Create is an artist of immense discipline, dedication, and uncompromising seriousness about his life, his work, and his goals, which I firmly believe he will achieve. A military child who lived all over the world, he found it difficult to blend in, did poorly in school, and eventually found himself in trouble with the law. His early years as a street and graffiti artist and his eventual development uh, as a successful tattoo artist in New York City, along with his initial forays into fine art, formed the foundation for the artist he would eventually become. And today, collectors from all walks of life are drawn to his dramatic and arresting paintings, which fuse explosive colors, both symbolic and enigmatic subjects, and bold, authoritative painting techniques to create artwork like nothing else seen today, and which has put him on the map in a big way. In this episode, Kevin discusses the experiences of his youth and how these created his desire to forge his own path in his life and his art, the sources for his intriguing subjects, many of the trials and tribulations on the road to success, the idea behind his name, and his interesting take on the work of Salvador Dali, among other topics. All in all, I think you'll find this a fascinating interview with an artist I believe will leave a lasting imprint on the art of our times. This is Behind the Artist. It's no frills, just real and deep conversation. I'm Morris Shapiro, and I hope you enjoy this journey into the life and art of CREATE. So Create, thanks so much for being with us. I'm so delighted to have you here. I've been looking forward to this uh, segment for a really long time. I think it's very important to document the early part of your career. I know you've been working for a while. You're not, you're not just a newcomer. But uh, now you're reaching that international stage with Park West, and things are going to change for you. And I'm really delighted to be you know, the first art historian to really put it down and get it documented for future generations and for your excited collectors, which are many already. We had an amazing event uh, together with uh, just an incredible response to your work, which I'm not surprised about. But uh, thanks for being here, man. Really glad to have you with us. Thanks for having me, man. Um, let's talk about your, your handle, Create. It's not just a clever pun about creating. It really has a meaning to it. You know, it's K-R-E and then the number eight. So how did that come about? Uh, well, um, Create is, uh, was a graffiti crew we wrote for back in, I think, roughly like 1996. And all the kids that, that was part of that crew, we were just all very creative. Hence the, the the graffiti crew called Create, and I just just happened to, you know, since the beginning of my whole art endeavor, I kind of always said that you have to become 
whatever you're doing you know it's like a doctor becomes a doctor a cop is a cop forever you know they go home with it just like art it, it's with us every single day 24 hours a day seven days a week it's not something that we kind of put on the shelf and i only feel like being an artist today so the 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 meaning behind the create is uh, knowledge reveals evolution ah. and or you know there's a, there's a few of them and knowledge respects evolution and uh, and the eight is a uh, real symbolic for the infinity i kind of turn it upside you know horizontal because for me, it's always changing stuff and, and trying to evolve everything. And, and me turning it horizontal is the infinity because I, I will become timeless. That that's It wasn't the whole uh, purpose of my movement, but it has kind of evolved into me becoming timeless because I do want, I will be remembered. That's, I think that's, I think most artists never take that into consideration in the beginning of their career because you just not you haven't uh, elevated to that point you, your mind doesn't you know retain information as far as what do i want to do in a hundred years how do i want my work to impact artists and inspire people in a hundred years because in the beginning you're still working on the formula of yourself so it, it's been like i say it's been, a, it's been an amazing journey a lot of ups a lot of downs and and uh, we're here to share the world. Well, the perseverance is, you know, what's so important. I mean, when you make up your mind that that's what you want to do, and you want to keep working on it and work at it every day, and it takes a long time, a lot of dedication, a lot of perseverance. So I, I congratulate you. Um, the great artists in history have all been ones who have understood at very early ages that this was their calling. This is what they were put on earth to do. And it might have taken them some time to get there, but they eventually got to that point. And once they realized that, they were relentless in achieving it, working toward that goal, which is really, really admirable. So you, you were, a, uh, I think you mentioned that you were a military kid. Correct. Travel all over the world, right? Correct. With your family? Yes. What, was, what service was your father in? Uh, my father was part of the Army. Army, okay. And so you were, were you born overseas? Yes, born? I yeah. was born in... Um, Neustadt. It was Witzburg is where my father was stationed, uh -huh. but my where my mother was at, and she said she wanted to have it. I was born in Neustadt and Daesh. I might be saying the name wrong because I'm kind of very Americanized at this point. Do you speak any German? Uh, I could say, go clean your room. Yeah. <laughs> out of all the room. stuff that I remember, why do I... My mother said that to you all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> out of all the stuff that I remember, that, that is the one thing that I, that I remember, which is ironic. I can count, but and I know a mm -hmm. few things, you know, it's just like Spanish. I, I can ret I retained a little bit of Spanish, and, and it's the same thing. I know little bits and pieces here and there. So. so when did you come to the States? How old were you? I think I was like six or seven and you moved to New York first or no elsewhere? we kind of moved all over I moved into we moved to Denver and mm -hmm. we lived there and in, in Denver for until I was I think about 17 or 18 I did part of my high school there until I was abruptly uh, kicked out of school because you know I come from a because maybe and I can't say I can't blame it on military but we have always moved around and around and around and it was always hard to get friends or, yeah. or have any kind of background right. so I was yeah. when, it, when I started to make friends we would leave and then I started yeah. to make friends and we would leave so yeah. I was kind of always tended at that point in high school I just kind of kept to myself right. and you were not an outsider yeah much. I just yeah. didn't because uh -huh. it was like why make friends when we're yeah. probably just going to move in two yeah. years anyway yeah. so so was this in Denver you got kicked out of school correct yeah correct yeah. and then you went to New York from no there? no I stayed in Denver and then I got into a little bit of trouble um 
doing some bad stuff as far as the graffiti stuff and then I moved to Florida for a little while and I actually learned how to tattoo I became a t- professional tattoo artist in Gainesville Florida where my mother is living at the moment and then I migrated to New York roughly about a year after I learned how to tattoo and then I stayed in New York for roughly about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so you started doing graffiti uh, like 14, 15 years old, right? Correct. In Denver? Yeah. Correct. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what what brought you into that? Was that just kind of like a cool thing to do or you felt this urge to, to paint and it was the best way to approach it? Well, you know, um, this is where the adversity part comes from. Um, I was I was like, I lived the gang life a little bit because I just was so rebellious and I felt like you know, I couldn't, uh, I didn't, I was one of those kids that just didn't do good in school. Mm-hmm. Just me and school just, just did didn't not click. mix. Yeah. I can't say that I failed school. I think school failed me. Mm-hmm. I think that I just was one of those people that just wasn't mm-hmm. built for school. It wasn't that I wasn't educated enough or I just couldn't uh, conform. Mm-hmm. Like it, I always had a problem with authority. Yeah. Like there's someone saying that because you you have a specific label or a specific position that you could tell me what to do when mm-hmm. nine times out of ten the people that are telling you what to do are inadequate to do their own job. <laughs> so yeah. and I've kind of always dealt and I've saw that at a very early age and I don't even know why and that's kind of held with me from the beginning. So it's interesting that uh, you know coming from a military family in the army, you know, which is all about control and about discipline, yeah, that, you know, you got to wonder if there's some kind of interesting relationship there with school for you. But uh, anyway, so when you moved to Florida and you began to do tattooing, I think that really probably developed a lot of your technique, right? Because it's challenging. Correct. Right? You're working on somebody's body and you're doing something that's got to be really precise in many ways, right? Correct. So and you probably get a lot of skill sets from that. Yes, and I didn't even realize, and it, it helped me 100%, I know now today, because I'm not formally taught. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to college for, for right. art, and yeah. I didn't do none of the architecture stuff. I didn't do anything like that. So, yeah, tattooing definitely taught me about composition, perspective, color theory, value. Uh, I mean, everything you could think of, and, and anatomy at that. So it, mm-hmm. was, it, was, it was really weird because the transition of what I could do painting, I couldn't do tattooing. What I did tattooing, I couldn't do painting. Mm-hmm. What I did in graffiti, I couldn't do in either. Mm-hmm. So it was literally three different mediums mm-hmm. that I was working with Simultaneously, yeah. yeah. So uh-huh. it was. It was kind of. I learned a little bit from here, and then I kind of right. formulated over here, and then uh-huh. I learned a little bit here, and then kind of just rearranged everything, and then yeah. turned it into the graffiti, which it was uh-huh. probably. It was probably the blessing in disguise. Well, isn't that interesting that you know these three different elements in your life came together in your art? Now you know yeah. you wouldn't be making the art you're making right now if you right. didn't have had those experiences, which is you know amazing when you think about the twists and turns of people's lives. You know to get there. So you were doing graffiti and tattooing at the same time, and then you decided at what point that you wanted to become a fine artist. How did that come about? Uh, I was kind of just uh, sick of getting in trouble. You know, I just felt like something had to evolve. I've always been the type that no matter what I have done, I've started at the bottom and kind of ended at the top. So even in tattooing, I was, I remember being the street shop guy all the way to the prestigious tattoo shop to where we were, you know, hundreds of dollars an hour Mm -hmm. versus being the street shop where you're 50 to $60 an hour. So I worked my way up and then in the graffiti, we, there's, you know, there's, different terms you know you become a tagger and you become you know someone that does pieces and then pieces go into murals and then the murals go into productions so I evolved all the way and I just felt like um, 
I, I knew that at the end of the day, how I wanted to be, I was going to make sure that I was famous. Mm-hmm. And I know that in the graffiti world, you can say on one hand how many famous graffiti artists there are. Right, right. But how many yeah. hands do you need to say uh-huh. how many famous painters there are? Yeah, absolutely. So I was, I was real kind of like, okay, you know, and then someone, when I was around 24, 25, I, I was having a conversation with somebody, and then they just kind of threw out the name Salvador Dali. Because the guy was a he was a fan. His name was David Sykes. He says, "Hey man, um, maybe you should look up Dali. He was very eccentric. He was really out there, and he really left a, a massive footprint in the art world. And maybe that would be someone that you could follow. Because I was always kind of yeah. very eccentric, and right. and you hadn't heard of Dali before. Never. Wow. Never. Right. Never. 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 And yeah. then he showed me his work, and I was literally from the <laughs> first page that I flipped." I don't know what it was. I, I, I guess it was a calling because uh-huh. I fell in love with it instantly. Right, right. We have an artist named Michael Cheval, too. He's an amazing artist. Oh, yeah. He was, He's, his work is... Yeah, and he was blown away by Dali, too. It was a transformative experience for him. Talk about fame. I mean, Dali was super famous in his lifetime. You yes. know, he, was, he really knew how to, how to uh, put himself out there in a way that other people had not. But uh, it an amazing technique too. You know, Dolly's footprint in art history is pretty pretty immense. So that was kind of like your turning point, huh? Yeah. Are you familiar with the artist DeCirico? No, no. You should check out DeCirico's work. I think there's a lot of similarities in, in your imagery. Um, check that out. I th- I'll show you some stuff uh, when we get a chance. We'll, we'll just kind of relax on some time and pull up some for you to have you take a look at it. So how about like some of the other artists like Basquiat and Andy Warhol and some of the you know the the artists that were cool in New York. You know what? It took a long time to understand because I always said that, you know, I, I've never been like the name dropper. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to be like, oh, well, because of this guy or because of this guy. I really, really, for many years, focused on myself. So I didn't follow anybody's movements and I, I, kinda, I didn't, I don't, I don't want to discredit any artists because well, the greats are great. So that's why they're great. But I just focused on myself. And then just recently, within the last four or five years, I learned and listened to so many documentaries on all the greats, Basquiat and all um, Keith Haring and all the New York artists. Mm-hmm. And it was so inspiring. And then that's, that's, I think that was a real turning point because I st- as I was searching for myself and as Create was being born, I literally took bits and pieces of everybody, a little bit of Warhol, a little bit of Basquiat, a little bit of, you know, Herring, a little bit of everybody, and then I turned that into what we call now creatism, Mm -hmm. because I think it is an ism, because it's so many things that took it to the ism, and like I say, it, it was literally a blessing in disguise to sit there and listen to everybody, and to know that, because I didn't follow anybody, and to listen to every single artist, for some odd reason, we all speak the same. Hmm. Interesting. Like every time I listen to something, it's like, man, I say that exact thing, <laughs> and I haven't, I didn't know none about none of these guys. <laughs> but then you listen to everybody, and they all kind of said, we all say the same thing, and it was like, wow, like it's pretty cool to have that same mind frame because, right. you know, like I'm very eccentric, so I really think outside the box. My mom always said, she says, you know, you are you are something special. You you can't be from this planet. I know I gave birth to you, but I know you you, you can't be from this planet. <laughs> That's why you use the astronauts in your paintings exactly. sometimes, right? Exactly. Um, back to the artists, you know, I heard you say that they made the path, you know, they created the path, and now it's up to you to walk it. You know, you're going to continue that path, which is, sure. which is really, really cool. Another thing I think is interesting that I've heard you say is, 
the prejudice that has been directed toward you because of your appearance. Okay. You know, you you got you're covered in tattoos, right? You got gauges in your ears. You're not a you know your typical you know normal. I hate to use the word normal, but you know what I mean. You know, you're not, you're not your typical you know uh, person, and so that brought for you a lot of hardship in your life too. I think and people would look at you and just kind of judge you without having any idea what you're all about, who you are, and you know that you're a sensitive and thoughtful human being, but just kind of look at you as some some kind of thug or whatever. So. Talk about that for a little bit and talk about how that's formed part of what you do as an artist. Yeah, that actually is the real premise behind my work is is that that just that sense of, you know, it's, it's so easy for people to say, like, you know, I wouldn't care what someone thinks. You know, but when you when it's consistent mm-hmm. and it's every single day, right. you know, I said it before, you know, as I was in the tattoo shop, I'm like the man. And, you know, people look up to you and that they ask for your advice. And as, you know, anybody knows that if, if anybody's got tattooed, tattoos are just like barbers. They're like uh, social workers. They're, you know, they're, they're <laughs> your therapists. Yeah. yeah, they're all that. Because we deal with every demographic that you can think of. I mm-hmm. tattooed, at the end of it, all my clientele were doctors, lawyers. Mm-hmm. They were the real upscale <laughs> people. And they had everyday problems just like us. It's just me in the tattoo shop, like I was saying, we were we were the man but the moment i went and got lunch i would go down to a bodega and people even in new york when people are real still just kind of like you know stay out of my way stay out of your way people would still have that look and and, you know like i say you just i always say the eyes never lie You, Uh you just know when someone looks at you in a specific way and they're like before you even say anything, I know how you feel about me. So uh-huh. I really kind of judgment. Correct. Yeah. Uh-huh. I really put that into my work and that's that's kind of that's what started my entire movement of faceless. Mm-hmm. I started doing half portraits because uh, the eyes never lie. So I cut out half of the face. Mm-hmm. I took off this part of the face and the the eyes never lie but the mouth you know, repeat sin. So it speaks sin constantly. So even when somebody tells you something, you know, they already have some, they think that you have some sort of dishonorable intention with whatever you say because of the appearance again. Mm-hmm. So I've taken that, I think I've, I haven't think, but I have taken away the identity out of my artwork. So you'll see any of my figuratives, none of them have a face because I feel that if I take out the one thing that gets judged or the one thing that I've got judged by every single day, that you see it for what it is, and that's the essence of art. So mm-hmm. you actually see it for what it is without passing judgment saying, oh, my God, he doesn't know how to paint eyes or he doesn't know how to paint a nose. And, and that was another stigma that saying that, oh, he doesn't paint faces because he doesn't know how. You know, because if they thought, that, oh, if he's formally taught, then he should know how to paint these things. And so then I started a whole portrait series because it's always something that instead of just congratulating that, oh, it's an amazing because you're doing something different. It's always saying that you're inadequate. Mm-hmm. It's always kicking out the inadequacies of, of you can't do this or you can't do this or you're doing this because of this. And, and I've literally dealt with that from the beginning of my career. Mm-hmm. And it's just hard. It's hard to try to to prove myself and it's amazing to be put on center stage at this point for people to start to listen mm-hmm. it's wonderful I yeah. mean it's got to be really validating for you it really you is you've worked so hard to get to that point and uh, the thing about your work that strikes me is it has such a powerful drama to it you know people are instantly drawn to it and they don't need to know anything about art. They don't need to know anything about you. They're just drawn to this work. And that's something that you find in, you know, really great artists. And so I think you, another reason why I think you have such a remarkable future ahead of you. 
why is somebody drawn to Miro? You know, right. it's right. just a bunch of blobs and some right. colors and some, you know, black and a few primary colors. And yet in Miro's art, there's like this power under, underneath it that resides inside of it. And I really think you've got that, you know, you, and I've seen it. It's not just, I think so. I mean, I've seen the response people have to your work. Mm -hmm. There's a connection there. You know, mm -hmm. we, I, I mentioned this the other day, we put out, you know, five or six pieces at our events with you not there. And every time we put them out, they're sold, you know, without saying a word about you, without right. even making a presentation or to, to tell people who this artist is, boom, people say, I, I got to have that. I want that on mm -hmm. my wall, you know, and it's not conventional art. It doesn't no. look like anything else, nope. you know, and so you know it's it's black and white, and we should talk about that—the black and white part of your work—and then with this amazing explosion of color. So let's start with the the black and white. I know that you're, you know you you thought deeply about that, and why why all of your paintings have that uh, grayscale in them. Yes, and this this goes right back to the adversity of of the judgment, because in in this time, and I think you know I really appreciate you we documenting this stuff because we need to bring forth these issues that we deal with. Mm -hmm. We are literally living in a black and gray world. We're not in a color world. It's literally black and gray. It is, it is, if whatever your status is, it's what you can and can't get away with. What, so, do, you mean? what do you mean? Say, like, the politics. So the politics can blatantly, in our faces, break the law, do treason, commit this, mm -hmm. do that, in front of our faces. But if you or I or my wife or anybody that we know personally goes to, say, a 7-Eleven and takes a candy bar off the shelf, and without paying for it, go to jail. Mm -hmm. So it's okay for, depending on your status, that you could break the law, or if you're not, if you're not that part of that status, that you will go to jail. So there's a real dichotomy there. Mm -hmm. So it's not a, it's it depends on who you are, of what you can get away with. Yeah. So I really put that into my work, saying that that the world is so black and gray right now. I I, I kind of feel that because I do paint a lot of stuff that that. Um, derives around vintage because I feel that I was probably meant to be born in like the 20s mm -hmm. where people actually lived to be happy mm -hmm. versus having to live up to some sort of expectation because back then there was no expectation you kind of just lived you worked and everybody was happy now it is complete if you are not successful you are not worth anything and that shouldn't be fair that's it's not fair it should be no matter who you are, we all have a voice, and they make it to where you don't have a voice. And and that color that 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 I put in my in my work is is us as people. You know, I, I always say it. You know, no matter how dark this world gets, you have to be that bright light. You are that bright light without you even knowing it, and you have to shine in the in these dark times because I feel like we are in a, in a dark time. You know, it's hard to to be bright in something that's so dark that every time you turn around, something bad's happening. I mean, now they're literally faking news to entertain people. Yeah, well, it's not about journalism anymore these days, right? No, it's, it's entertainment. About, it's about clicks and, yeah. and, you know, advertising pretty much, right? Sensationalism. You know, I was waxing about this, you know, the other day with our guests and talking about how back in the you know 50s and 60s in the 20s too you know you were famous because you were talented you right. did something right you, know, you contributed something right. to the world i mean the people who were famous were like astonishing you yes. know yes. and today you're famous because you're the kardashians yep. you know i mean yep. or you're, you know some reality tv show or some some you know uh, vapid you know kind of shallow thing that yep. people respond to because it's sensational so i've heard you say that 
you're making portraits in your work, portraits of all of us, you know, of, 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 of everybody together, Perfect. and that the color is very symbolic of all of us, you know, that we're trying to put color in this, this very black and white uh, world of dichotomies. You paint your, your, your backgrounds with aerosol, right, in your paintings? Yes. Which is really cool. That's yes. kind of coming from your, your, uh, your uh, street art Correct. background, right? Yes. Uh-huh. And then you do the, the, the figurative work, and you have a tremendous range of subjects, you know. I mean, you're talking about the astronauts and the elephant. The elephant's really cool. The elephant has ears that are uh, the monarch. monarch butterflies, yes. right? Which is really cool. People love that a lot. And then you do cityscapes, you know, bridges and parts of cities and buildings. And you do figures, uh, men in tuxedos with, with hats, smoking cigars. Um, Trees, you know, some some references to Dolly in your work, which is really cool, and then you 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 paint them in this very um, uh, raw kind of style. You know, it's very natural style. You're not trying to make them stylized and smoothed over and totally representational. I mean, they're dead on. You got great drawing ability in your work, so you know you really can recognize that in your work, and it seems very natural. It comes out of your own place. It's like you didn't go to art school, so you don't have this expectation of what you're, your drawing and painting should look like. You're making it what feels right to you, and that's really cool. And then uh, you put in these amazing combinations of colors, and they're just so vivid and vibrant, and they're exploding out of the figures and exploding on the canvases. And you even do abstract paintings, purely abstract, which are really cool. I love those as well. So talk about the technique uh, that you, you, you use. You use brushwork for the figurative stuff. Correct. And then you, what do you do with the color? How do you bring up that, those amazing colors to, uh, to bear? In the beginning, it was sort of a poor technique. Um, and then it kind of just evolved. It was actually one of those beautiful accidents where something kind of folded over and I was like, oh man, let me try to push it. And then I used the palette knife and then just something happened. I don't know what happened from one day to the next. It really just changed. And then I just really, really honed in on it and I loved the way it looked. And and for for a while, for a couple of years, it was a lot of trial and error. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't figuring it out. And we were talking about it yesterday about the viscosity and stuff like that. So it's right. been taking quite a few years to try to figure it out and now now working on a large scale it's really hard because i'm working with 12 ounce bottles and then to do original after original after original and do abstract after abstract the paint runs out and whatever residuals in the bottle i'm not starting from scratch Mm-hmm. every time I mix a paint. So I've got literally 50 colors of blue because I can't get the same blue that I had prior. So I think it's pretty cool to be able to make new colors on hand mm-hmm. versus colors that, that are using like the Payne's Gray or the Periwinkles or literally making stuff that doesn't exist. <laughs> what was the artist that, that made the, the, the blue? Because he mixed five different blues and, and it, they it's like sold for like... 50 million or something like that mm. I forgot the I forgot the name but it was like a big thing to where he was he only had blue oh and, Eve Klein right yeah Eve Klein right yeah. where he yeah it was Eve Klein blue it's his own color right yeah. right yeah because he didn't have any so he wanted to make his own thing so mm-hmm. but the palette knife really really kind of just uh, it was meant for my hand which is so weird 
It's extraordinary because they look like they're poured and sprayed and splashed, but you're actually yep. manipulating them carefully with the pellet yep. knife. And getting back to viscosity, in case our listeners aren't familiar, that's um, the thickness and thinness of the paint, right? Yes. And then also you get these reactions, you know, you're mixing different paints together. Do you do, use a combination of oil and acrylic, or is it all acrylic? It's all acrylic. All acrylic. Uh-huh. Even the aerosol background uh-huh. is still acrylic. Yeah, yeah, really cool. And then the colors are incredible, because you can take a lot of those colors and put them together and make mud. You know, but you're able to really keep those colors uh, vibrant and, and dynamic. Yeah, which is very rare. You know, that a lot of people say you can't add water to it because it's just gonna just gonna break down the integrity of the paint. And and I see if you use the best of the best on the market, that doesn't happen. Even if you use the cheap stuff, it still doesn't break down the integrity of the paint. So it still is vibrant. It's pretty crazy on when one person says something and that people kind of just run with it. So when you start to really break it down and start to work for yourself and think that maybe I should do this or maybe I should do that, and, and it works. And the people still to this day, they think that I add all these additives to my colors to make it look brighter when it's just the primaries. It's, I'm not doing anything extra. So. That surprised me. I thought for sure that you were adding some emulsions or some kind of, you know, no, some, some other materials to it. It's even more astonishing. Pretty cool. Well, you talked about synesthesia. And for those people who don't know about synesthesia, I guess it's really defined as the idea of music equating to visual art, right? Having the same relationship, like seeing music, right? Visual music. Um, How important is music to you in your life, and how how do you see the relationship of synesthesia in your your artwork? We all know, we, we come from music. Our heartbeat is a tone, it's a pitch. So I feel that since the day we are born, we are enveloped with music so and then as I started really taking my art serious it was 10 to 12 hours a day of just music upon music upon music and I didn't really realize how emotional and how much it influenced my actual work and then that's where the synesthesia came from was because I was listening to some contemporary uh it was um Elijah Bosenbrook I'm probably saying the name wrong but his music was just it just moved me and I felt like even if I closed my eyes I still could get the same result as if they were open so I almost felt like I was out of body watching myself create the artwork and and it was really cool to see that every time I played a song and specific songs pitches and tones that it would go a specific way so that's where I say I could visually see it and even from before I was doing the fine art stuff even with the graffiti that's what you kind of have to have is almost a synesthesia because we would pop on our earbuds or well back then it was Walkman because we didn't have earbuds so we had Walkmans and you would almost let the however you felt with whatever specific song you were listening to I could visualize literally what I wanted to put on the wall I could see it in the left hand side of my brain and all I did was copy what I saw wow that's really cool interesting you said that before I heard you say that um, your work really tries to deal with the issues that we have every day and I think that's one thing that's so intriguing when you talk about your work 
even though people are attracted to it just by its visual you know power and its energy when they hear you speak about it they understand they, they relate to the work at a different level because you are reaching people with the stuff that we deal with every day especially now early 21st century in this crazy world of social media and the internet coming at us a million miles an hour and 24 7 content the tsunami of content coming at us uh, especially so i think that's that's really cool um the thing also about your work i think that's intriguing to me is that um it has so much power and so much drama and charisma to it but a lot of times art that that in initially grabs people right away doesn't have the sustaining power it doesn't sustain because it's just about grabbing people's attention yes. you know and then you you live with it for a while and then that wears off and then it's like okay what else is there mm -hmm. and you and I both know great art has depth to it you know great Correct. art is stuff that takes time and the longer you live with it the more you can appreciate it or the deeper you go into it the more you can appreciate it mm -hmm. and I think that's really cool about your work too when people hear from you and they hear about the thought that goes into your, your paintings and the, the ideas that you're trying to communicate to people. I think it really adds another dimension to them, which is really cool. So I, I congratulate you for that as well. Thank you. So what's in the future for you? Where are you taking all this? Are you thinking about that now, or are you just so immersed in the work every day that you're kind of letting it evolve by itself? Uh, I love the evolution of it. It's pretty crazy on, I think, the historical factor right now. Like that, that really, really leaving you that footprint. Put your place in history, huh? You yeah. want to make your mark, yeah. Really want that footprint. Uh -huh. Like it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's intriguing for me to know that I could become something that mm -hmm. I'm not, mm -hmm. or that I will be. Mm -hmm. You know, now I I know who I am, but I know who I'm capable of being, mm -hmm. and I feel that that they always say that you don't pick who you are. It picks you. Mm -hmm. I've always said that as as art, as tattooer, as anything, as a skateboarder, as a break dancer, as an actor. Like sometimes you just fall into this thing. You follow the white rabbit. <laughs> so I've been following that white rabbit mm -hmm. for many many years, and and I've tried to get away from it. I tried to say, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this, or maybe I should do this, and something just compels me to to create. That's mm -hmm. why I kind of took that euphemism of create because. Mm -hmm. I just kept going back to create, create, create. I love the enthusiasm that that word emphasizes. Mm -hmm. When people get to, it has nothing to do with art, it's just in that, that moment of we need to create this or we need to create that. I love that specific feeling. Mm -hmm. That real, start to get like little butterflies in your stomach, like oh, that, that excitement of let's do this, or let's do that, let's mm -hmm. do this. So I've literally been chasing the result for the last five years. Mm -hmm. That, that exact feeling. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's that's taking you down the path. You know? It really has. Yeah, you're moving the moving down the path as well. And your family, man, you have your lovely wife, Karen, and you have how many children? Three. Three children. Three. How old are they? Uh, my son is 18. We have oh, a wow. daughter that's 17, and uh -huh. Emma is 12 years old. Yeah, yeah. And dad's keeping the, the lights on, right? Yeah, yeah. now. <laughs> now, yes, we are now. There were times where... It's a struggle. You know? Yeah, it yeah. was very remember, hard. Remember the story about Art Basel, right? Where yeah. you, you actually got a booth in Art Basel, right? And, yeah. And sold nothing. Yeah. For four, actually four years we've done it. Wow. And I think only one Art Basel, maybe, what, three years ago, we sold one piece. Wow. And that was through the gallery. Wow. So I really didn't get the fruits of the labor of that you know mm -hmm. it gets broken down because of this and then it gets broken down because of that mm -hmm. but when me personally me and my wife or we invested in it 
we we made zero. Mm. Yeah, we that's tough. Zero. Yeah, they had to be crushing. Yeah, it's soul crushing. Well, especially when you're you know you're doing substantially well prior to Art Basel, and then as artists we we know that like oh man, Art Basel is the Super Bowl of the art world. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, once you hit Art Basel, you know you're kind of mm-hmm. sanctioned. You're kind of like that's you um, you put your little fingerprint. I can't say footprint, but I can definitely say fingerprint because the who's who. That's the who's who of the art world. Mm-hmm. And when you're selling stuff consistently all year, and then you go to the one place that you think that you would do very well, mm-hmm. and you don't do anything. So that was, it was really devastating, and it was it really took a toll on me every single time for the next three months after every Basel. I'm like, well, am I really an artist? You know, mm-hmm. the, the questions, the doubts, the, the fear of, oh man, is this is this how it is? is and, and I tell everybody, you know, if, if you're, wanting to be an artist to be fruitful you're not being an artist because you're going to have so many lows before you even can touch just a few highs most people now that's where that's why i try to address these issues that we are dealing with because everybody says hey you made it i'm ready help me make it and it's like well if you were ready you would already be doing it Mm -hmm. versus asking me for permission you don't need to ask me for permission. And you can't say that I owe anything to anybody and everybody that I know. Because moving from New York to Miami, I came up with a set of artists, about 15 artists. And for some odd reason, I was the only one that kind of broke free of that confined art world of, let's do these little pop-up shows every weekend and, and have these little parties. And I, I did. we did a handful. We did probably about... 30 or 40 of these little kind of pop-ups. Mm-hmm. And this was with a group of artists from New York? No, oh, uh, Miami. From Miami. From yeah. Miami. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in New York, it was solely tattoo because mm-hmm. the population was just, it's just tremendous. So even if you're a terrible tattooer, you yeah, will you can, work you every single day. Yeah, right. You know, so I got to paint, you know, it was the complete opposite. I was tattooing and then on my off times, I was always... From the beginning of a kid, even when the direction was in the wrong area, I was always very productive. Mm -hmm. So I was always, if I wasn't tattooing, I was painting. If I wasn't painting, I was tattooing. I never took idle time Mm -hmm. because idle time, I knew that if I had time to do nothing, I would get in trouble. Mm -hmm. So I made sure that my hands were always moving. And then coming to Miami, it was the complete opposite. No one trusted me. Mm-hmm. They said, you know, go back to New York. We know how you guys, we know how New York artists are. And I was like, you pigeonholed me yeah. five seconds after I got in the door. That's the outsider again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> From tattooers, you know, which is yeah. terrible. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like a regular innocent bystander. It's right. from my own culture. Yeah. So it was, it was a real, it was a humbling experience to say that I was at the top of the food chain in New York. And then I come back down to Miami because... Once you hit the top of the food chain, well, moving down to Miami, I had to go to the top of the food chain, but the top of the food chain is referral and client base only. Mm. So once I go to those tattoo shops, the person, any client that walks in the door, they say, I'm for this guy, or I'm sure. for that guy, Get or I'm for that guy. I'm not for you, because I don't know yeah. who you are. Right, exactly. So I would literally hit a brick mm-hmm. wall. So I was like, okay, well, I'm an artist. Let me do what I know how to do. So I went right back to square one, art 101. Grab the canvas, grab my easel, and I painted, and I painted, and I painted. And from the residual, it just kind of just was like literally I was at the top of Mount Everest with a pebble. Mm-hmm. And I kind of flicked it off. 
and now it's a goddamn avalanche. <laughs> it's rolling on down. Yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. Like, what a blessing in disguise mm-hmm. to say, you know, was it meant for me to move to Miami? Because if I wasn't, I would still own my tattoo shop in New York, mm-hmm. and I still would be slaving away, right. and I still would kind of be doing the, the 360, running in a circle or walking in a circle, doing nothing, not having anything mm-hmm. come back, and for me to move to Miami to lose just about everything. You know, me and my wife, when when we were at our lowest with the kids, we had cents in the bank. Mm. There were times where many Christmases that me and my wife never got Christmas. There was times where we would get food and whatever the kids didn't eat, we would eat. Mm -hmm. So it went all the way from that. And I think that's where a lot of my of that perseverance and that persistence comes yeah. from because yeah. I know how it feels to not have anything mm-hmm. and I'll never ever ever go back to that mm-hmm. because it's you know humility is real yeah you know you understand what you are capable of and what you're not capable of and we are not victims of circumstance mm-hmm. and I see that now well you've created your own path now yeah your own pathway and uh, I'm thrilled for you, man. It's Thank really, you, man. It's, it's really a pleasure to see you succeeding and, uh, and hear what you've been through to get to that point. You know, I, I, we all hear the humility, and we hear at the same time the bravado. You know, you're confident, and you know where you're going, and that's cool. We'll just get out of the way and let you go there, mm-hmm. you know. But at the same time, you've got this wonderful humility and uh, appreciation really, for the real. things, that the blessings you're, you're experiencing right now, which are terrific for you. So, uh, great, man. Thanks for taking time to be here. It was really pleasure. a pleasure, uh, uh, you know, getting this down so people have a chance to really hear yeah, a little more about you and, and your extraordinary life. And I wish you the best. And I'm excited just to be along for the ride. It's going to be fun watching all this happen. And I can't wait for the next time we get to sit down and, and talk and also show your work to these uh, people who can't wait to collect it and hang it on their walls. That's pretty yeah, cool man. stuff. Yeah. So, until uh, next time. Yes, sir. All right, man. Thank you for listening to Parkwest Galleries Behind the Artist. To learn more about Parkwest Galleries' family of artists, visit us online at parkwestgallery.com or follow us on social media. You can subscribe to Behind the Artist on your favourite podcast app and be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes.